Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. Uh, I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and I'm excited to have with me Chief Robert Krause from Toledo Fire, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, I know he's helped me out immensely in my career, uh, being an instructor and a friend, and he had a really cool grab um, rescue that his department made, uh, he was involved in, and we're going to talk about that today. So. Uh, first off, uh, Chief, uh, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm great, Grant. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to say thanks for letting me uh, chat with you this morning. Uh, I think this opportunity is great for our brothers and sisters to hear about what's going on around the country and maybe pick up a nugget or two that uh, they can take back with them to their uh, their firehouses. So before we get into the actual rescue and incident, can you tell me a little bit about Toledo, the search culture, and tell us about you and your role in, in, in the department and, and whatnot? Sure. Well, Toledo, um, Toledo has about 270,000 people. We have 18 firehouses. It's broken up into three battalions. Uh, last year, the city of Toledo had, uh, I think, over 65,000 uh, calls for service. Uh, we are a uh, um, kind of a, a, the result of the industrial automotive industrial uh, world, and so we have uh, a fair amount of uh, wooden structures. We have a fair amount of rust belt stuff. There's population shifts back and forth. Uh, but I've been with the, the department for uh, over well, going on 30 years now, and currently my spot is uh, Battalion One. I'm chief of Battalion One, which is the inner city, the north end, the near south end. Uh, I work with some of the best firemen in the city in Battalion One. Um, I, I, that's pretty much me. You know, I, that's what I do. Awesome. So, uh, and a real humble guy, but very educated. You get around the country and teach quite a bit. And, uh, and I think you're just a fireman's chief for sure. Thank you. Talk to us about the uh you and toledo is no stranger to grabs you guys it seems like you guys are getting a lot of work uh, it's like little detroit uh, but, and i know you guys are making quite a difference can you talk to us a little bit about the search culture in toledo sure the and and uh the, the search culture and, and i gotta tell you it it, it does vary by battalion i mean that some of the battalions are a little more aggressive than the others but the search culture is pretty much uh, in Battalion 1. So let me talk about Battalion 1 because that's who I'm involved with. I, I was in Battalion 2 uh, until 2017, and then I came over to Battalion 1. So I only want to talk about what I know firsthand, and, and I think that's important. Um, the search culture here is broken down into the rescue companies do most of our search work for us. And over the last 18 months, uh, the, the roles of truck companies have changed a little bit into where uh, they don't just come up and put the fan in the door anymore in, in Battalion 1A. They're much more involved in search and opening buildings up and uh, overhauling, looking for seats of fire for us. So the, the culture is that we're, we're coming to get you. The, we, we have a pretty good risk management policy where we take a look and, and you know, if, if the fire load is so great that, that the, the risk management uh, that there's no survivors inside, then we're certainly not going to send people in. 
I mean, uh, we cannot make an assumption that uh, just because a building is vacant, there's people in it, and especially if it is fully involved. I mean, we have to make good decisions on where we go and, and how we get there. But we're very proactive. We're pr very pro-interior firefighting. And so the search and, and uh, suppression companies push almost side-by-side. Uh, side. So we're, we're a very much the citizens in Toledo need to know, and they probably do know, that we're coming to get you. Uh, we're not going to leave you in there. That's awesome. What For Toledo, you mentioned rescue companies are primarily doing the work. Talk to us about what you guys get on a regular alarm for just a single-family residential and how, as a battalion chief, you're going to play out those units. If you've got prearranged assignments, uh, if you're a little bit flexible, uh, it, it just from the battalion chief perspective. Okay. Uh, on a regular alarm, typically we'll get um, three engines and a rescue company, a truck company, uh, a battalion, uh, a safety officer, and oftentimes a, uh, a transporting ALS medic unit. Depending on geography, uh, you might get four engines, a truck, a chief, uh, and a safety officer and a life squad. It, it depends on the proximity of the rescue company. Uh, but typically, uh, we're going to have 22 to 24 uh, firefighters on the scene pretty quickly. Now, uh, I have very much uh, taken under uh, the task of having some predetermined idea what we're going to do. Um, we talked about bringing our own plugs. You know, you turn the corner and you see heavy fire or smoke showing across the street and you don't have reports of people trapped in the house. I, I would like to see you take a plug, bring your own date to the dance. What if the second new engine's further away? Uh, but we do have some predetermined things. You know, the, the first engine's going to the front and is going to attack the fire. The second engine will be given orders, but I want them thinking about they're going to division two. Truck companies I want in front of the building because the stick is of no use to me if it's halfway down the block. Uh, rescue companies, they're coming up to the front of the house and they're waiting for me to tell them what to do. Uh, so we do have some predetermined things. And I, I've worked with my engine officers in that I want them thinking as they're coming to a fire and listening to the fire. This is important, listening to the fire. As they're coming, I want them to think, where are the first three lines going to go? And we talked about this uh, down at your place. The first three lines. Now, not every fire needs three lines, but I want you thinking that far around the curve to, <coughs> excuse me, where do these tan lines need to be placed? Now, the, depending on the floor of the fire, the first line goes to the fire. So in this discussion right this minute, I want you to think of a residential structure with a kitchen fire. That first attack line is gonna go right to the fire floor and, and try to find the seat of the fire. The second new engine is gonna take a second line up to division two so that it can head off any fire extension up there. The worst thing you can do is A, send a crew above the fire without, without a line, or B, have the initial attack line on the first floor, put the main body of the fire knock down and say, okay, now guys, get that line upstairs. They've already, they've already spent a considerable amount of time trying to get that first line into play. They've already spent a, a fair amount of their cylinder. And so you're asking them to, to you know, maybe overtax themselves. And then the third line can be your backup line. Where do you need a backup line? 
first floor, the second floor? Do you need them near the stair landing? Do you need them? Where do you need that line? And like I said early on, Grant, not every fire needs three lines, but I want you thinking that far ahead. You know, the first line might go in the door, find a trash can, fires out. But, you know, if we're thinking that far ahead, then we, we tend to be better prepared for larger scale incidents. The truck companies, the truck companies are coming up and I've told the truck companies, I want you coming up with hooks and I want you to be thinking if we gotta go get somebody or if nobody's in the house or we have not all clear that by the people saying everybody's out, then I want you guys, the truck guys, moving in with the end guys, opening up the ceilings, opening up the walls, so that's almost a synchronous suppression effort. You know, the, the engine guys are knocking fire down, the truck guys are going in with them to hook stuff open and open it up, so boom, boom, boom. <coughs> Excuse me, that's my morning cough. So the truck guys are opening things up and the engine guys are putting water on the fire right away. What I've noticed in the past is that um, engine crews uh, will, will go in, they'll put the fire out uh, or, or put most of the fire out. Uh, truck companies will arrive and they'll carry the fan up to the front door and they'll wait. Uh, all right, now what do we do? And engine companies will go inside, they'll put the fire out or most of it out. And then they'll say, hey, we need some pipe pulls in here or we need to open up the walls. And they'll come out, change a cylinder, somebody else might go in with the hook, and it just kind of is haphazard. Uh, over the last few years, uh, there's been that really synchronous approach, engine and truck working hand in hand. They each know their roles, uh, and fires are going out pretty quick. You know, the, the truck crews aren't having to go to the roofs as much, and the reason is because fire's not getting in the attic. We're getting it before it gets in the attic, or if they're on division two and there is fire in the attic and the truck guys are in there, they open it up, boom, the engine guys put it up. So the speed at which suppression is happening is, is, is going much, much quicker in that uh, type of mentality. Very nice. Who's doing the searches for your department uh, primarily? Is it, is it trucks, <laughs> rescues? Uh, can engines uh, do the searches or how are you rolling that? Well. Uh, um, all three of those units uh, should be capable of conducting searches. And um, when I know who's coming, most often the first and second do engine companies are suppression, rescue seven, rescue six, when they're showing up, they're my search crews. Depending on the proximity or the, the, the need, five truck or, or um, they might be my search crew. So it really depends on the scenario unfolding in front of me. And, and you'll see in, in the discussion we're going to have shortly about Gordon Street, um, the truck crew actually uh, was given, uh, they were helping with rescue, but then because of the way things were lining up, the truck crew became suppression. Um, just because, and, and they had to be competent and confident in their skill set to, to do those things. But any one of those threes, engine, rescue, or truck, uh, can do search, and, and we have it perfected to where they do it very, very well. Because rescue is a regional term, what is a Toledo rescue? Well, the, the modern 
uh, a rescue company in the city is a rolling toolbox. We've got a nice rig, a beautiful rig. Uh, there's two of them in the city, Rescue 6 and, and Rescue 7. And they uh, have three personnel. Uh, when I was riding the squad, there was four of us on there, but uh, they're down to three today. Uh, they have three members on that rig, an officer and two firefighters. Uh, they come off, uh, and especially in the battalion one, and I'm only speaking about what I can with authority as battalion one, uh, they come off ready to go, either uh, the search role or a suppression role, depending on what I need. They're, they're some of the uh, uh, they're, they're, they're good firemen, and I know that they're going to get the task done that I assign. Awesome. Uh, lastly, before we move into the incident, when guys <coughs> get assigned search in Toledo, are they doing a split search, oriented search, VES, uh, all of the above? What's that? For you guys. Typically what happens, typically the rescue companies or the search component, whoever it might be, uh, are going right as close to the seat of the fire as a team as they can. The three of them are going as close to the seat of the fire and then working backwards from that point. Uh, you know, if, if they, if the, let's use this scenario, if they have a bedroom fire on the second floor at one o'clock in the morning, uh, the likelihood is that people are still gonna be upstairs. So, and that's where the most hazard is right now. So if we take our time to go in the front door, do a left-hand search, go through the whole dining room, go into the kitchen, go around. I mean, it might take us five, six, seven, eight minutes before we ever get to the second floor where the main body of the fire is. And, and if that's a, if there's somebody salvageable up there, we wanna to go to the closest to the point of the fire that we can, check that area and then work backwards as suppression crews are pushing in. Um, we, we try not to waste a lot of time with uh, the hands and the knees staying on the wall and, and moving around. We, and, and also, Grant, a lot of that depends on visibility, right? It depends on fire conditions. It depends on heat conditions. But for the most part, we're going right as close to the seat of the fire as we can. We do use uh, the oriented search. Uh, Skip Coleman was a huge uh, influencer uh, for us here in Toledo. Uh, Skip Coleman, in my opinion, was uh, one of the best fire chiefs that I ever had the chance to work for. And his legacy of oriented search is continuing. So we will use that. You know, the officer will be the oriented man. Uh, the two other firefighters will go and try to search and then work backwards. Awesome. Fire came in uh, at 12.09 on the 24th of March, uh, 2022. And... Um, Part of the things that fell into play, uh, and the reason I got there first, is not by chance. And I think all of the chiefs that are going to listen to this uh, need to understand that a very important thing for these line battalion chiefs to do is to don't have, um, don't be Velcroed to your desk chair. Uh, get out of the office, get in your cars, uh, patrol the neighborhoods, learn the neighborhoods, uh, understand where streets are, understand where block breaks are. I mean, I spend considerable time uh, every workday uh, in the car, in my battalion, looking at, at response routes, where's hydrants, uh, where are various street names. Now, you're not going to remember every street name, but 
but you're going to have little nicks where you're going to remember certain things. And that happened here. Um, so get out of your office, get out in the street, learn your districts, pre-plan things, drive around, listen to the radio, listen to the music that you enjoy, but get out there and learn your disresponse districts. Doing that helped in this scenario. All right. So I'm out on the street and, and uh, this area are single family homes, uh, wood frame. Um, they're older homes. It's an older neighborhood. Uh, it's a fairly busy part of the city, both for EMS, uh, for law enforcement crews, and for fire crews. Now, this Gordon is off of a street, uh, and one of the streets that is off is called Griffin. The reason Griffin sticks out to me is because for almost two years with regularity, we were being called there for regular alarms that were false alarms. There was somebody antagonizing this homeowner, and for almost two years, uh, at, at once a month, twice a month, uh, this address was coming in on Griffin uh, as a regular alarm, and, and, you know, we're going there. So we were already conditioned. We knew where Griffin was, and I, by default, I knew where Gordon was. Well, I was out on the street this morning, uh, the, the morning of the fire here on the 24th. I was out on the street, and uh, it pops up, up my, on my NDT, and when I looked at the address, uh, I knew right away where I was going. And I was not any more than, um, geez, a mile away, if that. Um, so that's what, the, that's what the scenario plays out as. Um, and then when you're ready, we can, we can go to the fire itself. Cool. Um, so take us, take us through that. It pops up on your MDT. Uh, <coughs> you get some information and then talk us through, uh, you were close, uh, but as a, as a, somebody that gets to sit in an SUV once in a while, that can seem like a long time. A lot of stuff goes through your head. So we want to hear your headspace on the way to that as well. Okay. Um, when it pops up, I look at it. And at first it was, the, the I, I see the address and I know right where I'm going. So um, I, you know, I hit the route button. I come around the corner. I head down uh, Holly Street to Western. And I'm listening to the dispatch come out. and you know, the first uh, iteration is one person tracked. And I said, okay, all right, I've, I've mentally prepared for this. I've practiced for this, how I'm going to do this. And this goes back to uh, a lot of the training. When, when I talk to, to firemen around the country, I talk about the what-if game. And the what-if game, and I, I, we talked about it down in Florida. Uh, what would I do if? What would I do if this happened? What would I do if that happened? And, and those are games you play developing mental markers before this fire comes in. So as I'm headed there, uh, I hear that there is one person trapped, and I, I have a basic idea of what I want to do once I see the building, because decisions are made based on once you see the building. Uh, as I get a little bit closer and I'm almost there, the narrative changes. Now we're being told that there are five people trapped. Um, that changes the the strategy a little bit doesn't it now 
uh, I might have my hands much more uh, occupied with rescue operations, EMS if they're unconscious, you know, how, what's the staffing that I'm going to need to pull five unconscious people out of a building. So I, I'm starting to develop this checklist of am I going to need more engines? Am I going to need an EMS sector? Uh, how many uh, uh, transport medic units am I going to need? Um, that were, those were the things that I was starting to log into my mental space uh, as I approached. And, and something that kind of started the ball spinning a little bit faster was when I rounded a corner from Holly to Western and I looked up in the air, there was a heavy column of smoke and I was about a block away. So I had a heavy column of smoke. So I knew I had a working fire uh, and I still had the, the mental image of uh, five people trapped in the house. When I came around the front and within seconds, I was within around the front. I saw we had heavy fire in the rear. And the first thing I saw were three people hanging out of a window on the alpha side of the building. And there was heavy, thick, black uh, uh, smoke coming out over their heads. Uh, it was black fire, right? I mean, this thing was going to go. So I made sure I parked uh, a little bit down. I just kept my demeanor because if you get excited and you start hollering, uh, you're going to, that, that tone and that inflection and that uh, demeanor is going to run rapid through your responding crews. So I got out of my car. I made sure I had what I needed, uh, which is basically my radio and my, my head screwed on. Uh, and as I started to do my 360, I noticed that there was a heavy volume of fire in the Bravo Charlie corner. And it was on the first and second floor, a lot of fire. The, the, my first victims uh, in peril were on the alpha side, the bedroom window. Uh, so those were the first. So, all right, heavy black smoke. Uh, the door must still be open. Uh, the fire's in the rear. I've got a little time. As I come to complete my 360, I come around the Delta side, and there's two more uh, hanging out of the, out of the uh, Charlie side window. And this particular one was an elderly female. She had a nasal cannula in place. She was on oxygen, and she was holding a, a, a smaller child. I had to walk right past that to make sure I could get a, a look at the side Charlie to see how much fire volume there was. And it was basically concentrated in the Bravo Charlie corner and heavy black smoke, the, that black fire that we talk about coming out over their heads. So that was the uh, scenario that I had. Uh, and I was starting to process. Uh, I didn't want to give assignments just off of a dispatched running order because that may not be the order in which they arrived. So engine nine was the first due dispatched rig, but if they were at the store, they may not get there till third. So giving engine nine an assignment when they're still seven minutes away uh, isn't beneficial, right? So as incident commanders, we have to give assignments to rigs when we see them there. Um, that, that's just the, the way to do it effectively. In this case, engine nine was the first one there. And so I prioritized what I wanted done. The ones who looked to be most in peril were the three on the alpha window. Uh, so you heard me in the audio direct 
engine nine to, and I was very focused and I gave them very specific directions. Uh, so they, they didn't have to guess, you know, I, I told them I want ladders. You're to focus on the alpha side rescue. When engine five showed up, I gave them engine five. You are to focus on the Delta window and, and get those people out using ground ladders. And, and that's exactly what the brothers did. Uh, they came off the piece. Uh, they, they, they grabbed the ladders uh, and, and they started, you know, pulling people off the roofs and off out of the windows. When five truck got there, uh, five truck helped get, because uh, Alpha Side had three. So five truck helped hand, as they were coming down the ladder, hand people to um, the, the medic units that had now started showing up. And, um, you know, they were, they were able to help get the patients across the street to EMS. So that happened pretty quickly. Engines five and nine were still occupied in, in treating the patients then because we didn't have a large EMS contingent there. And so five truck comes back, uh, and they say, what do you want? Now here's a critical component. And this is what separates engine drivers from just anybody. The engine driver, in this case, from Engine 9, Jeff McCulley, he's probably one of the best engine drivers in the city. As all of this was going on, Jeff pulled a handline off of 9 engine and got it to the front door and had it all flaked out. So the rescue's going on. Jeff from 9 engine gets the line placed. So when 5 truck is free, now I have someone, because the rest of the crews weren't there yet, now I have someone, and you hear in the audio, five truck, because of staffing, your attack. Five truck took that line, and they're all guys who go back and forth to the engine. So they're, they're not, uh, they won't get an allergic reaction by touching an attack line, right? These guys, these truck guys, they work the engine too, so they, they're, they're, they're very adept at suppression. So five truck pushed into the first floor. Shortly thereafter, engine 16 came up, and after the incident, well, I'll get to that in a minute, engine 16 knew, and he told me after, that they were going to the second floor. Engine 16 pulled a line and went to division two, and they found fire that extended up to the second floor. So there was a line on the first floor, a line on the second floor, and you hear in the audio, Seven's Rescue, who was late to the party, because of distance, not because they, they weren't coming. They were just further out. Rescue 7 gets a backup line, and they are on Division 1 making sure that the two suppression crews uh, upstairs and downstairs don't get cut off. But after the fire, because of my talking and my training with 16 Engine, Mike Howell, the lieutenant from 16 Engine, Mike knew that he was going to go to the second floor. Engine 9 was on the first floor. He knew that he was going to end up going to the second floor. And he was, he was already thinking through what they were going to do. And so that, that table talk, that coffee cup discussion on where the three lines going and practicing those things, mentally rehearsing them, all came together on Gordon Street. Outstanding. Have, have you worked with your crews about this type of scenario that roll up and how fast they can get 
ladders right off the rig and, and <laughs> the windows because that's not something we typically think about. But I know years ago you did an FDIC class and you talked about um, having all these skill sets and as an IC knowing how long it takes your guys to do certain tasks. <laughs> right, right. Yes, um, you don't want to have an engine crew uh, that it takes 26 minutes to get a ground ladder up to a window. Uh, if we had that problem on Gordon Street, we might not have been as successful. The, the thing that slowed us down the most and which needs to be factored in was when they went to get the ladders off a nine engine, uh, they're on a hydraulic lift, right? So they had to hit the button and the ladders came down. And so they were delayed by the ladders coming off the engine. On those rigs, they don't have the old handles like we used to do and just disconnect them and pull them off. They're on a hydraulic lift that brings them down so that the firefighters are at a more chest level. So the delay, if, if any delay, was getting that off. So we knew already we've got about a 30-second delay because of getting that damn ladder off the piece because of the way it's, you know, it's on the ladder mounts on the rigs. But uh, we have practiced, and we've got a pretty good down that once we get the ladder in our hands, um, we can get it up there in, in 30 seconds. Now, this is, I think it's an, uh, a point of our uh, debate. You know, the, the discussion says, well, you know, you should only use a, a, um, uh, an extension ladder for rescues, you know, a 35 footer, you know, an extension ladder, heavy duty, you know, you shouldn't use a straight ladder or a roof ladder for rescues. Now I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take a different position. I think that if you have people hanging out of windows, whether it be a firefighter or a civilian, uh, a, a roof ladder, a straight ladder is, is fine. Keep in mind, both of those ladders, the straight ladder, and the fly section ladders are tested to the same weight, 750 pounds. So a, a, a straight ladder is going to work fine. And it's, you can, one firefighter can grab that thing, get it up underneath the windowsill, and A, get another firefighter out, or use it to get civilians out. Um, we, we, that's what we used on this scenario to the first floor, uh, or on to side alpha, on side Bravo, five engine snatched off the, the 35 footer from nine's engine and used it on, on uh, side Delta. But yes, knowing how fast you can accomplish a task helps incident commanders understand what they can and cannot do. I'll give a very specific example. If it takes your engine crews five minutes to pull a hand line, get it flaked out, and get water up to the second floor, uh, you need to know that. If it takes 10 minutes, you need to know that because that all changes your attack methodology. Uh, you also need to know if I can have a line up there in two minutes because it changes how we can go about things. And so a way to do that is practice it. Time your crews. How long does it take to get a line off that rig in good conditions, up to a second floor, and flow water. So you have a basic ballpark. That way you can say, all right, listen, I have a general idea. It takes two minutes to get up there. If it takes us 10 minutes under pristine conditions, then we've got some training to do. Um, a 
couple thoughts on that. Have you practiced or had your crews practice getting the ladders down if the hydraulic lift doesn't pop down? Well, you got to, you know, Grant, that's a fair question. And the answer is, uh, I'm going to have to tell you, no, we haven't. Um, these are newer rigs that we have. Uh, newer rigs probably being the last five, six months. Um, no, I, I as a battalion have not uh, practiced that. And, and that's a great uh, stimulative you just gave me. Maybe that's something we should practice, but we have not. We have been dependent on, and many of our rigs have that that you know that hydraulic lift that brings them down to us. Uh, we have not practiced that, and that's something we should probably do. And I know first thought is just go grab a ladder off of another rig. I know we've had uh, I've been in a backup rig where the pin wouldn't disengage uh, in the morning and said, "All right, you know what? We're just going to practice it because if it happens." Uh, those people don't care that the, it's a good excuse why he didn't get them quick enough, but that doesn't help with the, the actual outcome of the incident. What about exactly. um, uh, ladder rescues can happen in a couple different ways. Uh, namely, number one, you throw the ladder up and assist the civilian out. How were, the, were these victims able to get out on their own accord or do you, did you have to assist? Uh, can you talk about that? Yes, they we were able. They were still uh, alert. They were still. They were screaming. Uh, they wanted help. They wanted out. Right, and so they were still conscious. Uh, they still had dexterity. So once our people got up there, they were able to bring them down the ladder, uh, a single ladder, uh, under some control. Uh, the the children were thrust out to the firefighters who who grabbed the kids. Uh, passed them down the ladder to, to firefighters at the end of the ladder. The, the adults uh, on side alpha, she was a little more uh, capable of helping us get her down. And she came down the ladder with us. The, the, the adult on side delta uh, was an older woman. I think she was in her 60s. Uh, and, and she needed a little more help because of her physical condition. But she was able under her own power to get out. Um, these are single ladder rescues at each place. Uh, had there been unconscious people on the other side or hanging out of the window, we more likely than not would have put up two ladders uh, and used that wider platform to once we got them, uh, bring them down the ladder with two firefighters uh, working parallel with each other. Fortunately, uh, the, the brothers here in this scenario were not uh, tasked with having to move unconscious patients. But we have talked about those scenarios around the kitchen table. I have no doubt. We were talking about three lines. I'm sure you were talking about that second ladder just <laughs> in case. Um, awesome. Uh, anything else on this rescue that uh, you're going to really use moving forward that you want to hit, hit with the uh, listeners? Yes. And, and this, is, this is for the incident commanders. This is for the bosses. This is for the first two engine officer. This is for the guy riding the seat in the medic unit, the first one there. Uh, as you are communicating to the incoming crews, you have to maintain a sense of calmness. You have to main, maintain a sense of control. You, you know, on the inside, you can be a nervous wreck, but uh, you've got to communicate in a way that's calm, that's direct, uh, that 
reassures people coming in that you know what you're doing. On this incident, um, as it was unfolding, all the administrative chiefs came down, the fire chief herself, the, the assistant fire chief, all the deputies, they were all there coming. Um, and so what I want uh, the listeners to know and to practice, this, is, this doesn't just happen. You have to practice this. You know, as you're driving in your car, going to work, coming home from work, picking the kids up from baseball, practice how would you report uh, someone hanging out of a window. Look at a building as you drive by it and think, okay, what if I had heavy fire blowing out of there? How would I report that to incoming crews? This didn't just happen uh, because I got lucky one day. It happened because uh, of, of training and practice and, and really being vigilant in being good at your craft. If you're a boss and, and, and that's your role, you have got to make sure that uh, you set the incident up right and you do it with a sense of calm and control and you, you more likely than not will have a good outcome. You ended up getting several victims uh, up to that initial call was one victim and then it escalated yes. pretty quickly. Uh, two things I'm, I'm sure if I'm thinking about it, listeners are thinking about it. If you'd arrived and there was one victim and there were, and not knowing what that delay of your next due unit is, is there any circumstance when your, your rules of engagement are going to change from instant commander to make an imminent rescue just personally on, uh, as a BC? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, if they're on the first floor, I mean, I, I don't have a ladder to get up to Division Two, and I think that too has to be uh, something that is in your uh, toolbox as an incident commander. If you see somebody right in the front door and they're five feet in the door, and, and you know you've got fire in the rear, you've got fire in the in the living room. I mean, in the right there. You know, there's a, I, I can't remember where the video is out of, but there's a lieutenant that, that makes a snatch uh, off of where the victim's right by the door and he got in trouble for it. I think that's outrageous. I can't remember where that fire happened, but, you know, that officer used initiative and self-judgment and he went and he grabbed that guy and I, uh, or woman and I believe that the person survived. Uh, there has to be, um, at least in your mind, uh, an understanding that you may be forced to pull somebody out of a window or to pull somebody out of a front door and, and you cannot stand idly by it and just say, well, the truck will be here soon or the squad will be here soon. Um, I think that has to be a part of your, your uh, playbook. Uh, it's not a major part of your playbook, but it needs to be in there in case an opportunity like that is presented. And the next cruise are three, four minutes away. That, that person may not have three or four minutes. What's the, uh, your personal um, line that you're going to cross? So if you could, and I don't know, this is all hypothetical, but are you, are there any instances where you're going to completely gear up and throw it on the air pack before the rig gets there? Or are you say, I can make the, if I can make a line of sight and not need to uh, put on any additional PPE, uh, what, you know, talk to us maybe, maybe on that. Um, in my battalion, um, 
crews are on top of each other pretty quickly. Um, it, it, I mean, there might be a scenario where I'm out in the middle of the night uh, coming back from one incident and another one comes in close. Uh, in, in almost every scenario that I can think of, um, I don't think I'm going to put a mask on and head up to Division Two to do a search. I, I don't think I'm going to do that. I, my value is running the incident and getting people that have all that stuff on right out of the chute and sending them to where they need to be. My role is to facilitate those rescues. Um, a line of sight, yeah, I very well may do a line of sight. I come out typically with my bumper gear on and helmet and gloves. And and so line of sight stuff, I, I don't have a, a whole lot of prohibition there. But I, I, I don't see uh, in, a, in a first arriving battalion putting a cylinder on, masking up, going up to Division Two, doing a search. I just, I think that's counterproductive to the overall uh, attack methodology, my role as a as a combat officer if you will is to is to get those incoming sources that are coming pretty quickly find out what information i can and get those people to do the tasks that need to be done i think the incident commander really has to have strong self-discipline in um, maintaining that command post or that command presence i'm not i am not a uh, command guy sitting in, in the car. I, I don't believe in that methodology. I think you need to be out in front of the building, um, down the block in a car, I think uh, is not for me and I wouldn't advocate for that. Um, but I, I think there is a line, Grant, that um, line of sight stuff I'm going to try to do much more involved in that I'm not. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, so happy that you ended up sharing the story with us. Uh, this is a little bit longer uh, grabs podcast than we normally do. And uh, there's so much to unpack here, which is, which is absolutely awesome. We're also going to include after this, we're going to include the link for the audio and that's not anything uh, proprietary. We didn't get it department wide. We got it just, uh, we, we grabbed it off of broadcastify, which is yep. open source material um, so that you guys can hear uh that call unpack. It's really good for, for training, not just the crews, but uh, for at that chief level. Um, chief Gross, I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing everything with us. If you make a grab or assist alive or deceased, please go to firefighter, uh, www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey for us. Uh, the information's for us, by us, and updated real time. If you'd like to share your story of a grab uh, on the podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe. Uh, Justin McWilliams or Nick Ladine. And until next time, thanks for listening. And then I end the vibe at the 15, rescue 7, medic 23, truck 5, 134, battalion 1, structure fire, 966, Gordon Street, at Miller and Griffin, person trapped, use channel 7. And then I end in five, end in 16 of RIT, rescue seven, medic 23, truck five, 134, battalion one, structure fire, person trapped, 966, Gordon Street, at Miller and Griffin, use channel seven. Rescue seven in route. What channel is that again? Channel seven.
Sorry, just said 925 the trail in Glendale. We're going to be closer than any of the uh, other responding units. Or do you want to add it? Sorry, just said 921. 925 will add you to the call 1211. Return 1. You'll need to assign another medic. We're going on team within the 21 at Burndale. Clear. We'll put your person on Glendale for you. Battalion 1 and all crews responding to the structure fire, 966 Gordon Street. Reports of five people trapped in the upstairs bedroom. There are going to be hydrants at Gordon and Miller and Gordon and Griffin. Another 56 quarters. Okay, I got heavy smoke showing. I'm about to block out. Heavy smoke. 56 quarters total. Alright, dispatch, can you add Unit 121 that fire on Gordon as EMS going to Channel 4? Dispatch, this is a working fire. I'll give you a report shortly. Copy Battalion 1 on the working fire, 1211. You're getting two right squads. I got people on the porch roof. We've got rescues or in it. Heading 121, Engine 4, Sir Fire 966, Gordon at Miller and Griffin, in Channel 7. Engine 4, on the structure fire 966, Gordon Street at Miller and Griffin, in Channel 7. 21, go ahead. Battalion 1 will be command on Gordon. Engine 9, my first priority for you is rescue. Let's get these people off the porch roof. We've got three people stuck on the porch. Heavy fire on the second, uh, first and second floor in the rear. 121, just verifying that we're in 121. Go to channel 7, please. Dispatch, we're going to need uh, at least one life squad. Have them stay out on Griffin. Don't come down the fire street. Uh, let's get a uh, roof ladder up here right now and get these folks off. 136, medic U, 1212. Four people hanging off a porch roof on Division 2. Engine 9, your primary focus is going to be rescue on side Alpha. Rescue side Alpha ladders. Engine 5, rescue side Delta. Roof ladder, let's get these guys off the roof. Copy that, you can show 115 around. I've got a total of five people trapped on the porch roof. Clear, 1213. Five, I want you to assist with rescue on Alpha side. Five, Nine, I want focus on rescue right now. Fires in the rear of the house. Let's get these folks off the roof. Ladder, Division 2, side Alpha. Bringing three people down now. Okay, we've got the people off the front of the house secure. Nine, or excuse me, five, we'll get the folks on Delta. 
Rescues are happening on the side delta right now. We've got all the victims being brought down. Fire attack will begin shortly. 113 nothing. All three victims down. Sign alpha. We're okay. 134 safety. Two staffing, we're going to have to change the attack plan. Five trucks, your attack on Division 1. Push right through that hand line. Engine 16, you are attack on Division 2. Engine 16, attack Division 2. My squad 1. So behind engine 9, you've got a number of victims behind engine 9. All victims are breathing and awake. Rescue 7 on scene. For dispatch, add 111 and 112 to Gordon, going to channel 7. And 111 and 112, 1215. 7 rescue. I want a third line, um, but you'll be a backup line on Division 1. So 7 rescue. Pull line off a of nine. Make your way, Division One. Help the Division One attack. Sixteen engine is Division Two attack. Sixteen 